Good morning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Acts 18. Acts 18. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, my mother did something um, I thought was unique, and I had a couple of people tell me it was unique. She made sweet potato casserole, which isn't unique, but it was like a house divided. You know, you see those tags? So there was like a marshmallow team on the right, and there was like a pecan team on the left. And if you really wanted just all of it, you just kind of ate the heart out of the watermelon in the middle. You know what I'm talking about? So try that. Uh, it was really, really, really good. Um, anybody doing uh, leftovers today still? Turkey sandwiches, right, for days, great, good stuff. We had gumbo as well, like Thursday night, so um, y'all be doing that. Um, there is a laser pointer involved today and a map, and I have books, but I'm not going to quote from these books, but occasionally we will change out the recommended readings in the truth section in the lobby. I got some out just for you, uh, if you, you know, good Christmas presents, but to read, especially in the Christmas season, um, this is called Jesus by A.W. Tozer, great devotional reading. He'll talk about the incarnation and Christ becoming uh, man, so that's cool. Um, another one called the, uh, the First Days of Jesus, uh, dealing with Christ's birth. Uh, by Andreas Kostenberger, so that's, uh, that's, that's really cool. And then sometimes I like putting out missionary biographies. This is uh, how the gospel reached the calm people of Nepal. It's called At the Foot of the Snows. Those will be out um, when, we, uh, when we leave. You can take a picture of that or grab it, scan the back of it. Good Christmas presents. But I would encourage you during, uh, during the Christmas season, um, I always say I'm trying to do it, and it's hard to, uh, to do, but occasionally we just need to stop right? And we need to think. And we don't need to look up on December 28th and be like, well, I missed it again. I didn't have time to think about what we're actually celebrating. Now, if we dive into New Testament studies, Jesus is probably born like earlier in the fall. I like to think he was born during the, the Feast of the Tabernacles because the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. But we're not arguing about days. Colossians tells us that. So we as a culture, we as a church, we as a Christian global body of believers beginning today, not only is it appropriate to now listen to Christmas music since Thanksgiving's passed, but some of you have been listening since October, but starting this morning, we literally enter the Christmas season and we have next week, the 10th, the 17th, and then here on New Year's Eve for us to be able to start setting our minds on that. We'll be in Acts today, we'll be in Acts next week, um, but then uh, particularly on the 10th, the 17th, and the 24th, we will as a church look forward and celebrate the fact that Jesus came to live among us. So begin to get your mind, your heart, readings, and um, just begin to, to set your mind and, and, and don't miss that. Speaking of uh, announcements coming up involved with Christmas, in two weeks, December 10th, we will have a kids' Christmas program on Sunday morning. That will basically be like the, the music part of our service. Kids are going to blow it out. It's going to have fun. Carrie and Nicole have been working with our kids. They've been learning on Wednesday nights. So come and celebrate that. We'll, uh, we'll preach a Christmas message that morning as well. Next week, uh, a couple of announcements. Next Saturday at 8 a.m., our prayer team will have their last prayer meeting of, uh, of the, the year at 8 a.m. And then on Sunday, next Sunday, we get to baptize some people. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we'll have baptism next um, Sunday morning. Remind you also of the Bible study that, uh, that is every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. in the education building. All right, Acts chapter 18 is where we will be this morning. We'll be in the middle of it from verses 12 through verse 
23. Title of the message this morning is Promises Kept. All right, because we have begun the Christmas season, many of you have like uh, holiday movies that you watch. Um, feel like Elf's appropriate at any time of the year. But if like Michael Tress and I, our go-to is like Lord of the Rings, okay? And um, there is a quote at the end, and Michael's going to have to like cite me on the exact Tolkien quote, if Peter Jackson got it right in the movies. But at the end of Fellowship of the Ring, if you don't know Lord of the Rings, just nerd out with me just for a minute. Frodo is taking the ring, he's crossing the river, and here comes the hero of the Lord of the Rings, Samwise Gamgee. And all the people said, amen. All right, we know who the real hero is. And Samwise swims out in the river, as a loyal friend would be, would do, and he, the movie portrays him as almost drowning, and he gets pulled into the boat, and he's not going to die, and he's committed with Frodo, even Frodo, Frodo was trying to get away. And here's the quote from Samwise Gamgee. I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee, Gandalf said. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. What I love about the Lord of the Rings, and, and hopefully Lauren will allow me to uh, will put up with me. You, you enjoy them. Yeah, she's giving me the dirty eye now. She enjoys Lord of the Rings, but it takes like four days to watch them all, right? Um, what, I, what, I, what I love about that scene is it portrays the type of loyalty and what the word promise means. That a promise means a promise. <laughs> it means a commitment. It's more than just saying you'll do something. There's a profound commitment behind the word which entails no matter what might come, no matter what might happen, word has been given, loyalty has been declared, and nothing essentially is going to disrupt that or keep you from that. And I want us to keep in front of our minds this morning the promises in Acts chapter 18 verses 12 to 23. And that is what we see. We're going to see Promises, as Justin reminded us last week, we'll walk through those in just a second, on the divine side, on God's side. But what you're going to see uniquely in this passage is promises that Paul keeps on his side. So I just want that word promise to kind of hang over us this morning. Um, a lot of times we soak in God's promises. We're so thankful for God's promises. Charles Spurgeon had a devotional called Faith's Checkbook, and it was all about the promises of God. That You can literally just take God's promises to the bank. They're going to cash. You don't have to worry about a, a one of God's promises and God's checks bouncing. It's, it's a guarantee. But we have to remind ourselves that Christianity is not simply drinking in everything that God has done for us. That is one side of it. And we're thankful this morning for the goodness of God, and we're thankful this morning for what he's done. But the promises of God, as often as they are in Scripture, oftentimes necessitate or push upon us our responsibility of what God calls us to do because he has promised certain things to us. This is not just set your cruise, enjoy life with no obligation upon us. And what you're going to see this morning is Paul not to get something from Jesus, but because of what Jesus has said, Paul does certain things. Let's read the text. Acts chapter 18, verses 12 through 23. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, 
This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers. And he set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And at Syncrea he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. And spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Father, we pray this morning as we have your word open, open our hearts, open our minds, help us to understand the scriptures. Lord, I need your help this morning as always, and I pray you would help me to communicate your word, to teach your word. Lord, even teach it to me as I'm attempting to teach it to others. Um, do all this, Lord, so that your word, your promises, God, but Again, this morning, our response to your promises will be made light of, and Jesus will be honored in our life. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. What a great message by Justin last week. I texted him um, on Sunday afternoon. I was like, bro, that's probably like one of the, every time uh, Justin preaches, like I have my Bible open, I'm taking notes. I think that's very important. I'm a Christian first before a pastor. But I told him last week, I was like, dude, that's like one of the best messages I've ever heard you preach. And I've been hearing him preach for a long time, okay? So it was really, really good. And if you haven't listened to it, if you're out next week, go back and listen to it. But I want to remind you of the three promises that Justin mentioned to us. If you go back to verse 10, Christ made a promise. Paul was discouraged. Justin told us he was lonely. And Jesus made a promise. Now, there was a command first, go on and don't be silent. But notice in verse 10, there was three promises. Here they were. Christ told, Christ specifically, the word curiosity is used. It's the Lord. The Lord Jesus promised Paul in Corinth his presence. For I am with you. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't a future promise, I'll be with you. What was it? It was a present promise. Right now, in the midst of what you're going through, I'm with you. He also promised him protection. Nobody is going to attack you. Now, you're going to see in just a moment, there's a reason why Jesus continued on after no one will attack you. If it was full stop, we would have a problem here in just a moment. <laughs> But the attack, the promise was that when, or if somebody attacks you, or there's not going to be an attack that's going to harm you. So Christ promised protection. But awesome last week for us to see, even though people hadn't been saved yet, Jesus said, I'm going to save people in Corinth. My people are there. People that the Father has given me, people that will come to faith, people that will believe. Jesus says, you keep preaching because there's people there. Now, you got to, and, and even as somebody thinking through the chapter, we got to remind ourselves that every sermon in Acts that we look at isn't isolated. That's one of the reasons why we preach the way we do at Crosspoint, 
Because guess what? This week we pick up where we left off last week. Read in context, listen in context, study in context. And what you're going to see real quick is that Paul believes this promise. And what happens in verse 11? He stays a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. In his missionary journeys, apart from his ministry in Ephesus, Paul stays in Corinth longer than any other place. I mean, what? Thessalonica, he stayed like less than a month. Most of the time, he gets run out. And it seems as if Jesus has at this point a very, very, very unique plan for the city of Corinth and for that plan to come about, Paul's not going to get run out of the city after three weeks. He's not going to get run after the city after a month. He's going to stay there. And Jesus has promised this protection to him. And so what does it say? Where did we pick, end last week? Teaching the word of God among them. So Paul is preaching, he's teaching, and then things begin to happen. I want you to see first just two main truths this morning. I want you to see when we think about the promises on God's side and Paul's side, first we see in this passage that Christ keeps his promises to Paul. Christ keeps his promises to Paul. Paul's preaching, Paul's teaching. He's sharing the gospel. He's sharing not that they are required to do something to be right with God. He is announcing to them how they can be made right with God because of what Jesus has done. The unique work that we can't do enough, that we never do enough to please God. But God came down. He became one of us. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And right now, he's calling everyone to repent and believe while there's time left. We have to ask ourselves again every single day, what are we trusting in for our salvation? It's Jesus alone, or we can't be saved. Praise God that Jesus came and he did that work for us. So Paul's doing that. That's the context. But notice it says in verse 12, when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, this region where Corinth was, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. Now, Christ had just promised what? Back in verse 10, I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. It's important that Jesus said to harm you. Because what happens in verse 12? The Jews attack. The promise wasn't that Paul wouldn't be attacked. <laughs> the promise was that when he was attacked, the attack would not result in harm to him. Now, it's interesting. This is a unique promise for a unique place. Because Paul was harmed in other places, right? <laughs> he was left for dead. He suffered persecution at Iconium and Lystra. But the promise here is, is that no one will attack you to harm you. So notice it says, when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. And so what they do is they bring him before the, the, the Roman leader of the city, the proconsul. His name was Galileo. A few things about him just to, to note. This is really cool because uh, one of those things we can just kind of miss. We get a timeline for Acts in a lot of ways because Luke mentions this. Now, this is really cool. Luke's a historian. He's also a doctor. He's also a missionary. But he sticks here so that we know. We, we know based off archaeology that Galileo was the proconsul of Achaia somewhere in the 50-51-52 range. Now, we know from history that he only served in that for about a year. He got sick 
and had to leave, had to resign his post. Then later on in the mid-60s, when Nero was just kind of like suspicious of everybody when he was Caesar, he, he took this guy, he killed this guy. But there was a moment in time, 50, 51, 52 AD, that this guy was in charge of Achaia. Now, why is that important? Because of that, we know where we can then begin to piece things around. We know we can figure out when, when uh, Paul, uh, when his first missionary was, his second missionary journey was, his third missionary journey. And so again, read the book of Acts, not just as something that is religious in nature. It's a Christian document. It is the word of God, but it's a historical document. It's so cool that our faith doesn't rest on like something that may have happened in the corner of the sky eons ago. God revealed himself in human history, in facts that archaeology backs up, that history backs up. It's so amazing that the latest thing we find is just like, wow, this is all we need. But for the skeptic, guess what? There it is. It's affirmed. So the Jews make a united attack, and what they would have done, they would have brought Paul and, and we know this from archaeology. The actual tri tribunal area, the, the judgment seat, has been unearthed in archaeology. It was in the middle of the marketplace in Corinth. And so we actually, you, you, you know where this took place. And they bring him before, and they start arguing. And if you'll notice what, what they're claiming in verse 13, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Which law? Roman law? Jewish law? It's probably Jewish law. And so what they're doing, they're, they're bringing Paul, the Jews are bringing Paul before Galileo, and they're saying, hey, this guy, he's not teaching our religion right. Well, what is that to like a Roman leader? You know? Well, what's, what's the point there? Why, why, why are they doing that? You know, this wasn't the first time that the Jews attacked Paul. It happens many times in the book of Acts. This is just the latest incident. Here's some other places where the Jews attack Paul. And you can just jot these down. Acts 13, 5. Acts 13, 45 and 50 is the same incident. Acts 14, 2 and 14, 5 in Iconium. Acts 14, 19 in Lystra. Acts 17, 5 in Thessalonica. Acts 17, 13 in Berea. And the latest incident here in Corinth. Now, I just want to bring this out to you. don't have time to dive into it. Later on in the book of Romans, which Paul writes from Corinth. It's important. What will Paul say about the Jews? My heart's desire for them is that I wish they could be saved. And then what does he say? I wish I myself could be accursed, a.k.a. thrown into hell so that they might be saved. Man, it was like super challenging for me. Like the way we respond to people, right? Like the other night at the um, West Jones South State Championship game, which they won, by the way. Um, green on today. Um, we have a crowd mic that sits outside, and uh, there was a teenager who's not here this morning, but I do know who they are. They, they're not CP people, other people, some other pagans kids. Anyway, there was a, there was a child who's not a CP kid. I know we don't have any pagans at, at, uh, at CP, but so our crowd mic's like sitting out and these, and these teenager and this child, like, like they start like talking in the mic and we're like, we're like, don't do that. Like we can hear you. And it's like first and 10. Hey, how you doing? You know, it's like one of those things. And I was just, and I knew the guy's the kid's dad, and I went outside, and I was just, I was ticked. I was mad. 
Later on, I apologized, like, bro, got in the flesh. He's like, oh, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Because he was chewing his kid out too. But I was just like, it was really funny. It wasn't funny at the moment. It was funny about 10 seconds later. But it was just like, that's one of a million ways of how we, me, respond to things wrongly. Right? And I was just thinking about this. Paul gets run out of every town by the Jews. When he goes to the next town, the Jews in the previous town find where he is, and they come and they stir up trouble. They create trouble there. And this is just the latest incident of Paul and the Jews. And what does Paul say? Not come here, let me beat you down. I wish I could go to hell so that you might be saved. I wish we could switch places. I wish you would see what I see. Man, it's challenging, isn't it? Love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Bless those that curse you. This is his attitude. He doesn't fight back. What does he do? Verse 14. He's about to open his mouth. Galileo says to the Jews. So what's interesting there is that Paul was about to give a defense. Paul's about to speak something, but he doesn't have to. And before we get to the end of this incident, you need to know that the Jews attack Paul, but check this out. Jesus keeps his word. They don't harm him. What was just promised in 1810 comes true here in 12 through 17. Yes, they attacked him, but did they harm him? No. Oftentimes, in our minds, this idea of Christianity that Jesus is supposed to always take care of us to the point of never allowing anything to happen to us. It's wrong, man. Many of my brothers in India would say that all their troubles started when they started following Jesus. Family problems, cultural problems. What we know from the book of Job, it's almost like Satan didn't even know that Job was around. The Lord's like, where have you come from? And Satan's like, I've been on the uh, earth. And you could probably add Peter's phrase, looking for someone to devour, right? <laughs> and God's like, hey, you know about my servant Job? Like, what? Like, Job didn't, didn't have any problems. God, like, recommended him. And it was really, really interesting. The Lord tells Satan, you can do that, but you can't do this. And then the next conversation, you can go a little farther, but you can't do that, which is a reminder to us that nothing can happen to the Christian unless the Father signs the parental consent form for it. And here Jesus has drawn a line and says, yes, but no more. The promise wasn't you won't be attacked. The promise was you <laughs> won't be harmed. What about Christians who were harmed, who are harmed. I've been writing the last several weeks about second century Christians who were fed to lions and burned and tortured. Were they harmed? Absolutely. But were they harmed eternally? Nope. The worst thing that can happen to the Christian is that we die and go be with Jesus. And the reason for that was Christ was the one who was ultimately punished in our place for our sin. And so guess what? To live is Christ and to die is gain. But here specifically, Christ says, they're not going to harm you. Christ also keeps his 
promise that in the sense that Galileo dismisses the charges. Let's keep reading in verse 14. When Paul's about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if this were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. Meaning like, all right, if, if this guy that you're accusing of has done something against Rome or has broken the law, sure, it's legit. But notice what he says. Since it is a matter of questions about words and names of your own law, see to it yourselves. What the charge probably was, was that Paul was saying that Jesus is Messiah. A Jewish man is a Jewish Messiah, and the Jews are like, eh, we don't like that. And so Galileo, from a, uh, being the proconsul, he's like, that have anything to do with me. That, that's, that's in y'all's tennis court. That has nothing to do with anything to have to do with me. Notice what he says. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. Now, why is this important? Historically, the Romans didn't have a problem with, like, established religions. So, the Jews had been around for a long time. So, where, the, where they did have a problem with, with religions is when a religion was either new or the celebration of it kind of created social unrest. That, that's where you got into problems. So what's crazy here is Galileo, check this out, associates what Paul is doing with Judaism. Even though we know that Christianity is not Judaism, the Roman interpretation here is it's under Judaism. Now, why is that important? When persecution happened towards the end of the first century, it was because the Christians were accused of being some crazy mystery new religion. Like crazy things were said about the early church. Like, for instance, they were charged with cannibalism. You know why? Because every Lord's Day or every other Lord's Day, you know what they would do? They would take of the body and the blood. Just wine and bread or juice and bread. But what would the pagan world say? Cannibals. They also thought our love feast, where we gather together and celebrate a meal together, were something immoral. The Christians would meet early in the morning or late at night, probably because they had to work all Sunday. And so the, here's this mystery religion that meets earlier, and they do all these crazy things. That's when persecution started. But think about what's happening here providentially. How is Christ keeping his promises? This proconsul is saying, hey, this is, this is a little side Jewish argument. I'm going to have nothing to do with it. You guys deal with it yourselves. And so guess what happens? Paul gets freed up. He's not only freed physically from the mob, but check this out. He's going to face no issue the rest of his time in Corinth because the proconsul has already made a decision. You, this is illegitimate. You can't come against this guy. He's not breaking the law. And you see what Jesus does? They're going to attack you, but nobody's going to harm you. Keep on preaching. Jesus is keeping his word here. Paul's freed up. And I told you to, to remember the fact that just as Paul was getting ready to open his mouth, Galileo <laughs> opens his mouth. Paul didn't have to say anything to incriminate himself. There was a precedent set here. Paul would, wouldn't be disturbed in Corinth. This is the third time in Acts that Paul has been declared not guilty of breaking Roman law. And what's amazing, because it comes from a proconsul over a region, it sets a pretty good precedent going forward, especially in the next several years, that anything that's done with this Jesus of Messiah, it's Jewish, don't worry about it. And check this out. <laughs> this proconsul from a rich family 
and a well-known family in Rome, is used by God in this sense, totally unconscious of it himself, but he fulfills the promise that Jesus made to Paul back up in 1810. Can I just encourage you this morning? Jesus will keep his promises. And he will keep them to the T. And if something has happened in your life where you say Jesus has broke his promise, let me just encourage you. It's your interpretation of the situation. Christ keeps his promises. He's not broken one to his people. And so it is awesome <laughs> that Paul isn't armed. And because Paul goes through this direct attack, this united attack, he's actually on the flip side far more free now to preach the gospel than he was before. Check this out. Oftentimes what we go through are grace gifts from God to liberate us and free us up and to enable us to be able to share more about him on the flip side. And it's only through going to that, Paul could look back and he could say, wow, Jesus kept his promise. Amen? Just a little note of verse 17. We're told that the Jews took out their frustration on a guy named Sosthenes, and he was the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth. Now, this is how God does stuff, okay? We, we found out earlier, Justin told us last week, that the previous ruler of the synagogue was a guy named Crispus, and he gets saved, <laughs> And so now they got a new leader of the synagogue. His name's Sosthenes. And so the Jews, I, I don't know why they w w didn't mess with, or they didn't mess with Paul and their frustration. We can't mess with this guy. They turned to their own synagogue leader and they beat him and they beat him right in front of the proconsul and he doesn't do anything. You know what happens later? You know how 1 Corinthians is, begins? This is how 1 Corinthians begins. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Meaning, this is probably the same dude. Paul's batting two for two now. Both of the leaders of the synagogue get saved. At this point, Sosthenes isn't a believer. He will become a believer. And you got to think, maybe this was one of those things that turned his heart. God used to turn his heart towards Christ. Man, what's the deal? Like, I'm getting beat up, and these are my people. And, oh, maybe Jesus is the Messiah. It's pretty awesome. So we see the divine side. We see Jesus keeping his promises. Let's move, secondly, to Paul. Paul keeps his promises to Christ. And I want to basically attack this section as a, as a whole, and I'm talking about 18 through 21, because I want you to see a, a few things here. So let me just state it again. God's promises to us are there. We don't earn anything from him. We don't deserve anything from him, but he gives it. Now, here's the difference. We then are called to act, obey, worship, serve, check this out, not to get something from him, but because of what he has already done for us in Jesus. One is works. It scares me so much done in the name of Jesus is not of Jesus because it's works. Do a little more. God will love you a little more. Go to church a little more. Give a little more. And God will love you. No, 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 man. For the foundation of the world, he loved us. And in due time, he sent Christ to this world to show us that love. We're not saved by works so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, that's the gospel. But you do see in Paul's letters 
This, man, I'm indebted. I'm indebted to Jesus. Here's a few verses. This is what he says. Again, this is cool. He wrote this to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Notice what Christ says. I mean, notice what Paul says about Christ. He says, Christ's love controls me, And I live no longer for myself. Why? Because for my sake, Christ died and was raised. You see that? The motivation, the psyche of Paul is not to get something from Jesus, but it is because Jesus has done something, I do something. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 first. Notice what he says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And then he says in verse 14, Romans 1, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Leave it up for just a second. But notice what he's saying. He's saying Christ called me. Christ called me. He set me apart for the gospel. And so guess what? I'm under obligation to preach the gospel. I'm under obligation to share the gospel. I'm under obligation to come to you to Rome to preach. Notice this. The obligation doesn't come because he's trying to get something from God. It is because of what God has done for him in the gospel. It's the difference, right? And later on to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And again, the motivation is I love you because Christ has called me to love you. So I I just want to make that statement that, that what we see Paul, everything that we see Paul about to do is motivated because of what Jesus has already done. Don't get into this picking up a daisy and pulling the little petals well, I didn't read my Bible today. He loves me not. Well, I did pray today. He loves me. You know, you just kind of spend your day saying, does he love me? Does he love me? Check this out. His love is set upon you if you're in Christ. Nothing can change that. Nothing. But because he does do that, doesn't that necessitate from us a desire to please him and to love him and to serve him? And that's what Paul does. So, so I want to pull out a few, few points here. And I kind of want to Look at 18 through 21 as a whole. Check this out. Paul believes Christ's promises, and so therefore he stays in Corinth. Just just notice real quick, verse 18. After this, he stayed many days longer. It's pretty emphatic, right? Don't, keep on preaching. I'm with you. Keep on preaching. No one is going to attack you to harm you. Keep on preaching. I have many in this city who are my people. And then the Jews make a direct attack, and Paul gets brought before the proconsul. And his response, I'm going to stay here many days longer. (laughs) You know how we persevere? You know how we continue to obey? We remember the promises of Christ. Now, Now think about how Paul was motivated here. He just saw in real time, he didn't know whether he's going to get stoned. He didn't know whether he's going to get chunked out. He's, he's, he's going through this. I'm supposed to stay here. I'm supposed to preach. What he did was he saw in real time, Christ keep his word. And so naturally, you know what Paul says? I'm going to press on, man. 
If you haven't been conscious of maybe something that Jesus has done for you in the last week, think about the jillions of times of what he's already done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, name them 10 by 10 and 100 by 100, right? Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Throughout eternal ages, may his praises ring. It's a great time for us to remember where he came through, what he did. When he comes through, as he always does, and you're conscious of it, write it down. Several years back, Lauren and I were, we went to Baton Rouge, and I was asked to preach at, a, at an event, and we had uh, some people open up their house for us to stay with, people we had served with in India. And uh, what was really interesting was I, 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 didn't get, I didn't get paid any gas money or I didn't get paid to preach at the event. And, and that happens. I don't know if you know that. That, that, that happens, okay? Um, which is okay. Grace your reward in heaven. But it was like a seven-hour car ride to and fro, right? And, you know, it was my livelihood at the time. I wasn't on staff at, at a church. So, so some people the, mo- the next morning, they did slip us some gas money, which was a great blessing. We get home to our house on North Park Street where we used to live, and there is a, in our little mailbox next to our front door, there is a envelope. Now this is, you know, driving back from Baton Rouge, you know, cheap Christians, cheap church, people don't appreciate the word of God, but, you know, pastors think that stuff. Not towards y'all, but anyway, um... And reaching that mailbox, and there's an envelope, and there's a a little note. And the note says, use this to pay your bills this month. You are appreciated. And then it just said, a servant of Christ. And there was like cash inside. And that's how we paid our bills that month. And oftentimes, a little story like that will come to my mind. And I'm wondering how I'm going to persevere, and I wonder how I'm going to continue, and I wonder when there's direct attacks and united attacks left and right. I'll just stop for just a minute, and I'll say, oh, wow, remember what he did? And praise God, that's like not the only instance. They could just keep coming, right? Remember when he did that? Lauren, Lauren said one time, don't tell her I told you all this, but one time she said, she's right over there, um, She's like, oh, sometimes I wish we could go back and just like live like that, you know? Maybe. But the point is, sometimes how we live as Americans kind of pushes out the faith that we should. We can't pray, give us our daily bread because we got a month, week, uh, month's worth from Walmart, you know? So, and, and I'm not dogging us out for living in America. I'm just saying like there should be some capacity within us that basically looks to God for everything. Right? So Paul's like, I just saw him come through. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to persevere, man. So he stayed many days longer. Can I just exhort some of you this morning? Stay many days longer. What's God called you to do and you're thinking about quitting? What's God called you to do and you talk about throwing in the towel? What's God called you to do and there's United attack, there's a direct attack? Stay many days longer. If he hasn't called you to do it, don't do it. But if he's called you to do it, persevere in it. Persevere in it. Stay in it. Stick with it. Remember his promises. So he stayed there. It's one of those things that Paul says in Philippians. Work out your own salvation because he's working out something in 
you. But, but secondly, Paul sought God's will and where to serve. Now, this is cool. Notice what Luke says in verse 18. He stays many days longer, and then he takes leave of the brothers. He, he says, hey, I'm, I'm out. It's just kind of funny, all that's in one sentence. Hey, I'm going to stay here, and now I'm going to leave. And notice what happens in the next verses. This is what he does. He stays in Corinth, and then he leaves Corinth. Then it says he goes to Ephesus, and he takes Aquila and Priscilla with him. And then he leaves Ephesus, and he says, hey, I'm not going to stay here very long. And then he goes down to Caesarea, and then he goes to Jerusalem, and then he goes to Antioch, and the chapter ends with, or the portion ends with him going back to Galatia and Fergia. And I'm just like, 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 okay, one minute you're, I'm going to stay here longer. The next minute I'm gone, and I'm going here and here and here, and I'm not going to stay here, and I'm going to go here. Like, how in the world does he do that? You see in his life, and this is a really cool, don't miss this, you see a little snippet, a little inside look on Paul's personal spiritual life. And what you see is, is that every turn, he actively sought to do God's will. He sought to discern what God had for him and when God had it for him. And he tried to make life decisions based off how God was leading him. And he does this in two ways, okay? The first instance, go down to verse 21. I just want to point this out first. Notice he doesn't stay in Ephesus because in verse 21 he says, I will return to you, what? If God wills. Basically like if it's God's plan, if, if, if the Lord allows me to do that. Paul, Paul did this quite a bit. Let me show you a few more. His, uh, his, his uh, navigation and de travel decisions. 1 Corinthians 4, 19. But I will come to you soon. Again, church at Corinth, right? All this is cool. Just how all this like works together. I will come to you soon. What? If the Lord wills. Next verse. 1 Corinthians 16, 7. But I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, what? If the Lord permits. Later on. Got a Romans verse up there next? Yeah. Notice what he says. Now, this is written from Corinth, church at Rome. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. All three of those verses show us what? Paul's trying to determine what to do based off God's will. Now, this isn't Paul. This is James, but this is so pertinent. James chapter 4, check this out. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while, a little time, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What's James saying? He's putting it all in what, how Paul lives. Don't, don't say you're just going to like do all these things. First, ask this question, God, what do you want me to do? And then proceed with it. When I was an intern at a church back in the day, in my office, there was a computer monitor, the old school one that Bowie was like this deep. You know what I'm talking about? Those, no, this flat screen. And it didn't work, but what did work was a little sticky that was stuck on top of it that somebody that occupied that office way before me had stuck on it. All it said was, have you prayed about it? Meaning, have you sought God about it? And what I love about this is that we find out what's, what's, what's inferred in the text is that before Paul made decisions, he asked God, what do you want me to do? Now, that might seem like elementary K-5 Christianity, but check this out. You still need to do it. You know what it shows me? The apostle, he not only preached the gospel, he lived 
elementary, fundamental Christianity day by day. But the second way that he sought God's will, back up in verse 18. I won't spend a lot of time here. We can talk in the lobby if you want to dive into it. But notice it says that at verse 18, he set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And at Sincrea, he cut his hair for he was under a vow. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for just the random drop. Like, what does that mean? Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles, but you know what? He was a faithful Jew. And not going to get into all the dynamics here. May have been a Nazarite vow from number six, may not have been. The point was, Jews oftentimes, in thankfulness to God, or a recognition of who God was, they would perform a vow. And at the end of that vow, they'd shave their head. And if you were at the temple in Jerusalem, you would, it's kind of strange, but they would put the hair into the burnt offering. And it was just an acknowledgement of who God was. What's probably happening here is that Paul is leaving Corinth and he takes a vow to the Lord out of appreciation that the whole time in Corinth, what did Jesus do? He was with him. He didn't allow him to be harmed. And a bunch of people got saved. You know what Paul says? As a Jew, guess what? I'm going to recognize who God is and I'm going to thank him for keeping his word to me. Now, check, check this out. Paul never imposed his Jewishness on Gentiles, but he was a faithful Jew. This is like one of those little inside, like, like, like how cool would it be like to basically be transported in time listening to Paul pray or listening to Peter pray or, you know, like listening to Spurgeon pray or, you know, just sitting down with like, you know, C.S. Lewis and reading the New Testament. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? And kind of here, like we have just this inside to check this out. Because Paul's an apostle, even though he was a missionary, he walked with Jesus. The normal Christian stuff, just the ordinary we may not be the apostle to the Gentiles, but guess what? We need to pray. We need to perform what we tell the Lord we'll do. We need to be faithful. I just love the fact that Paul does that. Notice that he left Ephesus and he didn't stay there. He was probably trying to get to, to Jerusalem for a festival or to fulfill his vow. But notice he leaves Priscilla and Aquila behind. Why? to care for the believers that were there and in order to continue to preach the gospel. Justin will pick more up next week about what's happening in Ephesus. And, and, and by the way, he finally got to Ephesus, right? First part of 16, he couldn't get to Ephesus. <laughs> now he gets to go to Ephesus. But he's still dominating. It's a dominating thought is what God wants. So, so how does this passage end? When he landed at Caesarea, verse 22, he went up and greeted the church. Oh, good. I get to use my map. Here we go. Bo. All right, real quick. This is not the tactical laser, so we're, we should be fine. All right. So this is what he's done. He was in Corinth. Sincreas, where he shaves his head. He catches a boat to Ephesus. And then, these last two verses, he's making his way down. Now, he lands at Caesarea. And your Bible says that he goes up, right? So you would think he would go that way. What it's implying is the, ge the geographic rising. So he goes literally up to Jerusalem. He greets the church, and then where does he go? It says he goes down to Antioch, elevation. I know it doesn't make sense to our geographic minds, but that's what's happening. So, so this is what he does. He lands here, he goes down to Jerusalem, and he goes back to, remember who sent him out? Back at the end of 15, it was the church at Antioch. Leave it up there just for a second, but this is what's really cool. This is the end of the second missionary journey. 
what started with the tiff with Barnabas over John Mark that we've been walking through for the last three chapters. This is where the second missionary journey ends. But this is where the third missionary journey begins. He goes down to Jerusalem. He goes back to Antioch. So he's come full circle. He's made this whole trip and he's, he's chilling here. Then Luke says, after spending some time there, even apostles need some downtime, he departs, and where does he go? Back to these familiar places, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch of Pisidia. And he spends time in these areas where he spent his first missionary journey. And what's the text say? He strengthened all the disciples. This is where I want us to end this morning. Last truth from this passage. Paul did not rest on past success. But he continued to serve Christ. He wasn't content with what God had done. He was thankful. But he wanted to continue to see what God would do. And you see, that's what we think about as we wrap up a Thanksgiving weekend. We remember what God's done, and that causes us to persevere, but check this out. It causes us to remain eternally hopeful of what God can do and what God is willing to do, and check this out, what God will do because of who He is. Daniel, you guys can come on up. So as we conclude this second missionary journey. Really cool. Next week we get to jump into the third missionary journey as we finish up Acts 18. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what you're about to go through. You may not even know what you're about to go through. But every Christian one day will be able to look back at their life and they'll be able to say two words. Promises kept. On the divine side, absolutely. Jesus is going to keep his promises. The challenge for us is, man, we're not going to bat 1,000. Most days we bat under 100. But the response is, because Jesus, who, what you have done for me and who you are, help me to respond back to your promises in a way worthy of how you treated me. If you don't know Jesus today, can I just tell you that you're not on earth on accident. You're not in Laurel, Mississippi by accident. And you're not in a Sunday morning gathering by accident. There is a real, eternal, true God who created each one of us for his glory. We sinned. We rebelled against him. And in doing so, we incurred eternal wrath and we are deserving of judgment. But in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son who became like one of us who came down on a rescue mission to rescue rebels and criminals like us. He went to the cross and he died in our place for our sin after living a perfect life. And what this holy, living, eternal God is willing to do is to take Jesus' perfect record and to put it to you and to take your sinful record and put it to Jesus. Jesus was substituted in our place for our sin. And we know that that switch is real. And your sin can be forgiven because on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. And this morning, if you don't know him, 
Trust him. How do you do that? Believe. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you. Ask him to change you. It's more than religion. It's more than just a little sticker on your, on your life. This is the Christ who created the heavens and the earth, and he's willing to change your life this morning. In just a moment, Justin and I will be at the back. If you need prayer, if you need to talk, if you need to know Jesus, please come grab one of us. We'll stay for as long as we need. Believer this morning, church member, if you're struggling and need some prayer, remind yourself of God's promises. Maybe you need us to pray for you. Come see us. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the promises. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your encouragement to our hearts this morning. God, we pray you draw the lost. Pray, God, that you would encourage your people and we would rest in who you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this together.